Welcome back to Psychic Crime. I'm your host, Nicole Mann. And as always, I want to thank you for listening. I appreciate all my fans. Um, and if you're new, welcome. Um, I always say that I can't believe that I've been doing this as long as I have. I thought maybe I would be able to upload a few podcasts. I'd be lucky if a couple people in my family listened. So I'm really shocked that I've been able to do this as long as I have and that I never ever imagined that people from other countries would listen and would continue to listen. So I appreciate that more than you will ever understand. I'm so honored to be able to reach out and connect with people from all over the world. Uh, If you want to show your support, um, then please rate us on whatever platform you listen to us on. It helps us get on the recommended list so that we can grow our listeners. And um, please uh, drop by our Venmo or our Patreon pages. The links will be in the description. I am updating the Patreon page this week. Um, we, I had originally planned for the uh, Dumber Than a Sack of Hair to be a Patreon perk, but um, with the coronavirus, I decided to do it as just something extra. Uh, corona really threw off, off my schedule. I had a lot of extra duties with my job being a social worker, um, and so I didn't have the time that I normally had, and my schedule was crazy and insane. Um, And so it was just something a little extra that I did uh, to try to change the tone of the way things, the way I was doing things. And um, I'm going to keep it that way. Um, I like it. Um, People seem to like the little bit more lighthearted tone. So once a month, I will upload a little more lighthearted something with uh, Dumber Than a Sack of Hair. And um, I'm going to continue to give advanced um, access to the podcast through the Patreon page. Uh, That's one of the perks. You will also be able to get merchandise um, through Patreon. Um, So like I said, I'm completely updating the Patreon this week. Um, So there'll be, like I said, there'll be early access was always a feature, but you'll have early access episodes Um, I'm going to be doing a second podcast American uh, American policing notes on a scandal Um, so you will have once that releases next month there'll be early access to the patreon as well to that that you'll have access to that before it actually premieres Um, and then like I said you'll have access to merch through the patreon as well so um, I'm just gonna completely rehaul it and redo the structure um, so, uh, that it'll get relaunched in about two weeks and I just want to, uh, kind of hopefully be able to get back on a more regular upload schedule and kind of get things back, um, to where I had intended for them to be. Um, and we're starting, uh, by getting back to, um, kind of the structure of, how I normally do things and we're going to do that with the grievance or wound collector. So grievance or wound collecting is the conscious and systematic collection and preservation of transgressions, violations, social wrongs, grievances, injustice, unfair treatment, or slights of their self or others for the purpose of nourishing, 
fortifying or justifying a malignant ideology, furthering hatred, satisfying a pathology, or to exact revenge. Now, what kind of people do you think meet this criteria? Anyone who, because of a personality disorder or character traits such as insecurity, paranoia, fear, xenophobia, or just due to uh, general emotional instability, are inflexible uh, in seeking to collect their grievances or slights for purposes that usually have negative social consequences or is very self-serving. This can be anyone from a spouse to a terrorist to a mass murderer. Let me say that most of these grievance collectors we don't recognize because most of us experience them on personal levels and they are generally not well known to the public, like they're not famous. However, we run into someone who habitually brings up these grievances, brings up the fact that they're slighted and whether they're accidental or not. And we know that they are irritating, obnoxious and annoying individuals. In a larger sense, we have every single one of us been exposed to grievance collectors, either on a national or international level. We just weren't aware of who or what they were. Here are examples of infamous grievance collectors. Adolf Hitler, in his book Mein Kampf, managed to list all of the collected wounds he and others had accumulated with particular emphasis on the Jews that he felt had wronged him. Ted Kaczynski published his list of wrongs known as the Unabomber Manifesto in the New York Times and Washington Post, decreeing technology and the Industrial Revolution. Osama bin Laden, in his 1996 fatwa, is nothing less than a collection of grievances dating back to the time of the Crusades, which he used to justify the killing of Americans. This document demonstrates clearly that for grievance collectors, there is no statute of limitation on suffering. Anders Bering Brufik, the convicted Oslo mass murderer who riled against Muslims in Western Europe and multiculturalism in his writings, before he set off a bomb that killed six and then systematically murdered 69 children. He is a textbook example of a grievance collector. Christopher Dorner is the most recent example of a grievance collector to become infamous. In February of 2013, he went on a shooting spree in California after publishing his manifesto, a collection of grievances and slights, as well as rantings going all the way back to the time he was in grade school. Jim Jones, the founder of Jonestown, was similarly a grievance collector. He kept tabs on everyone around him and society in general, particularly those who did not appreciate the fact that he felt that he was sent by the divine. And yes, Karens. The only difference is that they try and get people fired or arrested rather than outright murdering them. Newest video of a Karen that popped up was a woman whose backyard bordered as black families and when she saw them putting in a new patio, she entered their property to ask if they had a permit. And when they tried to escort her off the property, she called the police to report that they were doing construction without a permit 
on their own property and when a neighbor actually questioned her about why she would do something like that in this climate with everything that's going on and told her she should be ashamed of herself she tried to say that they pushed her 10 feet and the woman says really they pushed you 10 feet and she said well 10 feet off the property and you can see how something like that could be so dangerous saying someone pushed you 10 feet versus they pushed me 10 feet off of their property meaning they nudged her 10 feet off their property is very different calling the police and saying someone pushed me 10 feet sounds like they attacked you and they threw you 10 feet versus they pushed me 10 feet off their property well you were trespassing and they got you off the ground so yeah that's that's a, a that's a, a tactic and even in the video the woman that whose property she was on that they got her off the property she states she's been waiting two years for this she has been trying to find something on me for two years that's a grievance collector she's been trying to find a reason she's been trying to find something for two years textbook so we see grievance collectors in cults especially cult leaders definitely people who lead hate groups we see it in those personality disorders borderline personality disorders histrionic personality disorder narcissistic personality disorder especially and paranoid personality disorder definitely and yes if you look at various programs throughout history now one thing that people ask is can a country be grievance collectors and the short answer is yes you look at various countries in history they have had programs against minorities Jews Armenians Palestinians Roma aka gypsies which is politically incorrect so I apologize if that word offends anyone Kurds Tutsis in Africa we, I can go on and on and on the Shiites I mean I could keep going the these were all um, examples of groups and classes of people that countries tried to ethnically cleanse so yeah you as a country would be a grievance collector if you try to ethnically cleanse these people because of perceived slights that they as an ethnicity carried out against you these heinous events are based on grievance collecting practiced by the leaders of in power who often fan the flames of hatred using grievances they as suspected grievances they collected hitler of course is the worst of these but he's definitely not the first and he's definitely not going to be the last. So that begs the question, is there the opposite of a wound collector? And that is someone who forgives, someone who turns the other cheek, someone who accepts life without any issue. A good example is Nelson Mandela. He had every reason to become a grievance collector, but didn't because he just realized that doing so would be caustic to himself and counterproductive. Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King likewise rejected grievance collecting, even though they truly had been victimized throughout their lives. Mandela, Gandhi, and King rejected the toxicness that comes with grievance collecting and instead looked forward instead of backward and chose not to hold on to grudges. So when a spouse or family member is a grievance collector, how does that play out? not well because there is no forgetting there is no forgiveness and you are in 
frequent close proximity with someone who is going to tick off every wrong you've ever done. Spouses who are grievance collectors make life difficult for their partner. When something goes wrong, they bring up things from the past, when something from something from years ago. And of course, that's not conducive to a healthy, well-adjusted relationship. Children who grow up with a grievance collector as a parent know that at any moment, a torrent of past wrongs will be brought down on them, pushing that child further and further away for the sake of the parent being right or demonstrating just how inferior their child is. And no parent should ever want to prove that their child is inferior. That is always going to scar them and make them have a complex to where they're never going to believe that they are enough. We often see this in very narcissistic parents who indulge in belittling their children with their past mistakes or failures because it makes the narcissistic parent look bad. So what do you do if you're victimized? So what does it mean if you are victimized and bullied and you remember these events? Does it automatically mean that you're a grievance collector? Absolutely not. Circumstances can drive you to remember the times that you've been bullied and traumatized, but that's not the same as grievance collecting. Grievance collecting is absolutely different. It's an inflexible way of life. It is how you deal with life and people, and it is so pervasive that it serves as the sole driving purpose in your toxic and pathological lifestyle. So the only thing that drives you in life is collecting all your wrongs. That is absolutely, absolutely an unhealthy life when that's the only thing that causes you to be able to get up in the morning and that fuels your ability to get through your day is the knowledge that you're going to be able to find every single flaw in every person around you. Now, the most frequent things that people want to know is what are common features of grievance collectors. They never forget. They seriously, seriously never forget. They may quiet down for a little bit, but eventually they're going to bring it back up. There is never going to be closure over anything ever with them. They are hypersensitive to the tiniest of wrongs. Again. I mean, the tiniest. You forget something, you accidentally forget that they don't like a certain kind of food and serve it to them, you're never gonna they're never gonna let you live it down. Doesn't matter if it was an accident or if it was on purpose, you're you're never gonna hear the end of it. They seek out issues where others have been victimized in order to piggyback on their problems. Where they belong to a hate group or an odious ideology. Holding on to slights and collecting them allows them to hate with greater ease. So when they join a hate group, that allows them to find grievances and hold on to them with greater ease. It just makes it easier. So they would have been a grievance collector without the hate group. It just makes it easier to do so. They mistake good intentions for bad or evil and there is no leniency for honest mistakes. This is especially true if they have clinical paranoia. Grievance collectors tend to focus on one person or one group or one institution. They may focus on a society in general like the Unabomber. He focused on society and his hatred of technology. So like 
when it was society, what their when society they focus on an aspect of society. So with the Unabomber, it was his hatred of technology and what it was doing to society. For a grievance collector, there is no fixing anything. It's just a collection of the wrong that has been done to them. There is no forgiveness. There is no balanced look at life. They are always looking back instead of ahead. So a normal person, even a person who's been traumatized and gone through bad things, they're going to look ahead. They're going to try and see, okay, what good thing is in my future? Like what things are coming ahead? So you may go through trauma, but you may have things in your future, things that can you can look forward to, things that are going to give you hope and give you a reason to move forward. Whereas a grievance collector never ever does that. They never ever try and find something to move towards. They're always looking back. For a grievance collector, time does not heal all wounds. In fact, time just makes it worse because they keep finding more. Grievance collectors tend to have the singularly most pessimistic view of life and people. At times when there aren't enough grievances for them, They've been known to purposefully go out and find a way to make situations so they're slighted. And I have seen people do this. I'm not saying that I think that they're grievance collectors, but I've actually seen people do this, go out and make problems where there are none. Um, so it's not something that's unheard of, but I've seen people do this. Uh, grievance collectors tend to perceive the world as either you are with them or you're against them. And any attempt to explain any grievances that they have, it just makes them angrier. Months or years after an event, they will bring it back up. Sometimes out of the blue. Like you'll be going about your business and they'll just walk in the room and be like, Do you remember that time when we were in middle school and you stole my pencil case and never gave it back and then I come to find out that you lost it and turn around and look at your sister like what like that was 30 years ago I was like six how do you even remember that like I don't I don't even know what I did with that like what and then they don't talk to you for the rest of the time that you're visiting your family because when you were six you stole a pencil case like that that's how that's how they are and they use it to justify their current anger or rage you know it has nothing to do with what's going on so you could be visiting your sister your sister's not talking to you she brings up the pencil case and that's why now that's why she's claiming she's not talking to you even though she didn't talk to you from the moment you showed up grievance collectors seek out other grievance collectors so you often see them together in hate groups. It is not to say all hate groups are filled with grievance collectors. It's not like they put in ads of to get all the grievance collectors together in one room. They're just saying that oftentimes you will get multiple grievance collectors in a hate group. It's not that they will all be grievance collectors. Life, stressor, life stressors, excuse me, enunciate, make wound collectors metastable or highly unstable and potentially volatile if not kept in check. That 
will in turn make them potentially very dangerous. For example, uh, Christopher Dorner potentially lead to violence, mass shootings, things like that. They have an acute sense, acute cases of grievance collecting lead to psychological and physical isolation. Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, exemplify this. Both were perennial grievance collectors who in time isolated themselves both psychologically and physically. Ted Kaczynski is probably one of the greatest cases of this because he, he was the most difficult to find because he completely went off the radar. He completely stopped using all technology so he didn't have a phone number he lived off the grid in a cabin in the woods so he was almost impossible to find and you have to remember this was in a time frame when they didn't have the type of technology they have now so it was really a miracle that they found him at all because he was completely isolated in a cabin for years so that leads us to the grievance collector of today's uh, podcast, Patrick Shiro. He was born on November 13th, 1941 in Watonga, Oklahoma. When he became older, he decided to join the Marine Corps. His fellow Marines considered him an excellent marksman and considering that he could shoot from 34 yards away. He was also a member of the National Guard pistol team. He became a postal worker after his army career. Now, people presented a picture of a withdrawn youth, determined and painstaking, who went off into the Marine Corps and then returned, still reclusive, but full of militaristic fervor, who tended to wander the streets and was caught multiple times peeking into homes all hours of the night and day, getting him, but getting him the name crazy pat by neighborhood children. Others report a sketchy employment record after his return from the Marines with training in electronics. There was apparently satisfactory work as a traffic light technician for Oklahoma City, which he left for reasons that no one seems to know. Work in the stockroom of a local American Cancer Society chapter and a job he held briefly at a radio store. He quit after an imagined insult in which he was referred to as that young man. He had worked at the postal job for about a year and a half. The police added to that element a picture where they reported in his home they found that he had lived alone with his mother since he returned from the Marines and only eight years before the shooting she had died. The house the police said had been full of guns and ammunition. They found a ham radio and multiple other pieces of electronic equipment, including a computer, literature about firearms, electronics, and tons of literature on the Soviet Union. Among that literature, the Lieutenant Mike Wooldridge of the Edmond Police Department said were issues of guns and ammo, Soviet life, and a book called Russia Made Simple. It was impossible to tell whether the Russian literature fit the recollection of his friend, a young lawyer named Janet Cox, who came to know Mr. Sherrill as one of her first clients. When she handled 
a will about eight years ago after the death of his mother. He decided that he would drop in sporadically just to keep in touch. Miss Cox said that they would never date and there was no sort of sexual relationship. It was more like a brother-sister kind of relationship. And not even that. He would just go out of his way to drop by and check in on me. He, I just figured he was lonely because his mother had died and he felt a little abandoned by his parents. But the last time that she had seen him, Miss Cox said Mr. Shirl had seemed excited, saying he had an opportunity for a job that would take him abroad for two years. What might have happened to that opportunity, if it even existed, no one seems to know. For he was known to be fearful of losing his postal job, a fear that some believe was what set off his rampage. On August 19, 1986, Cheryl was arguing with fellow co-workers and customers at the Edmund Post Office. The arguments got so out of control that he was pulled aside by supervisors, fired, and sent home immediately. The next day, on August 20th, 1986, Cheryl returned to the post office with two M1911s, their 45 caliber semi-automatic pistols, and a Ruger 22 caliber semi-automatic pistol. He walked into the post office through a back door and shot and killed 38-year-old Richard C. Rick Esser Jr. at his desk. He then shot and killed 49-year-old Kenneth Ken Morey. A 30-year-old William F. Willie Miller was hiding under his desk when Cheryl shot him dead. He then shot 17 more people, killing 11 more. He walked into the middle of the post office and shot himself in the head. He shot a total of 20 people, killing 14 of them. In just 15 minutes and using 50 bullets, Cheryl murdered 14 and wounded six more employees, causing the phrase going postal to become seared into the American lexicon. And that was quite a joke in the late 80s and early 90s. Whenever someone would get upset, they would say, oh, you're about to go postal. I better watch out. Obviously, we recognize that was probably not the best joke now uh, to make fun of someone who was this mentally ill. But that is the story of Mr. Shearl, probably the worst grievance collector in American history. Um, so going next time, we are going to talk about Charles Stewart. And the reason that I chose to do that one is because that was a case where someone purposefully chose to identify a random black man as the perpetrator in the crime and it had very very heated and social and political implications in boston and massachusetts it was at a time when boston was just starting to recover from racial issues due to a uh, due to segregation they are still in the 80s in boston facing lawsuits about the need to desegregate certain programs in boston and in the midst of all this you have someone blaming a random black man for a crime that well 
you'll find out what happened but the racial instability and the fallout from it was pretty overwhelming and heinous so that is what we will get into the next time in the meantime i hope you sleep better knowing the how and why people do such awful things